Hi everyone, and welcome to the Pixels of Breakfast pod. I'm your host, Pixels, former game journal, current game developer, joined by game developer Blue. How's it going? It's been a nice, relaxing week, in theory. In theory, yeah. It has been pretty chill this week when it comes to games news, that's for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we're just going to jump in with probably the the biggest story of the of the week which is a report that's come out that Cyberpunk 2077 developers CD Project Red uh their head of studio Adam Badowski sent out an email basically instating mandatory crunch. Um you know mm. crunch is pretty uh I guess prevalent in all games development unfortunately there has been a bigger spotlight on that over the last couple of years as people have learned more about what goes in to making video games. Um, but the big deal around this in particular is surrounding the journalist Jason Schreier. So Jason Schreier is kind of well known for being this central figure that has a lot of connections that a lot of these bigger human interests behind video game stories get leaked to. He was at Kotaku last year and CD Projekt Red in the middle of this whole like I guess, uh, counter movement against crunch. Finally, we're like, Oh yeah, we are never going to do that to our developers again. And very much standing behind that statement in an email leaked to Schreier, who is now over at Bloomberg. Uh, that is definitely not the case. <laughs> the, uh, the email is basically saying your typical amount of work and one day of the weekend will be expected. Uh, and then Badowski goes on to say, I take it upon myself to receive the full backlash for this decision. I know this is in direct opposition to what we've said about crunch. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back, that crunch should never be the answer, but we've extended all other possible means of navigating the situation. So Shrya's come out and has been like, yep, they doing exactly the thing that they said they weren't going to do. A bunch of fans have attacked him for saying that. A bunch mm-hmm. of other journalists are like, well, you know, it's kind of just how it is. Uh, but the whole well, point of this conversation yeah. is supposed to be, yeah, it's not meant to be like that. No, no. That's the point. No. Or, or we should aim to be better than that. And it, it, they're right. It is how it has been. It, it is the reality of the industry for the past 30 years, as long as the industry has existed further. Yeah, this isn't... I've seen a lot of people be like, ah, oh, but, you know, COVID's happening and the game already got delayed because of that. And I'm like, this happens regardless of COVID, almost on every project, especially yep. AAA stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, so are they self-publishing cyberpunk yes they are they are self-publishing mm-hmm. um, the the one thing that is can be said and Badowski was pretty quick to point this out uh, that everyone is going to be paid overtime so a lot of places you don't get any overtime for your crunch yep. um, or very minimal they under Polish law have to be paid yep. uh, properly for this uh, so yep. at least there is that um, he's also gone on record as saying and this has been the case for every year that all of the employees get 10% of mm. the uh, the profit of the studio for the entire year. So mm. in the year of a launch of what is probably going to be the year's biggest game, Cyberpunk, like that's going to be pretty tidy amount of money, one would imagine. Yep. But still, it's this whole expectation rather than ask. It's also super interesting here because one of the things that you can do to make crunch go away is to pay the problem away. Like yeah. literally spend more money in a case where you're self-publishing i can understand if like uh, you made a deal with a publisher like oh we we, we're in bed with sony they say we have to get the game out at this point we have to crunch to get that's one thing right but you're self-publishing here they're obviously trying to hit a deadline for holiday sales which i understand 
But at the same time, Cyberpunk 2077 is one of the most anticipated games in the past 10 years, possibly. It almost doesn't yeah. matter when in the year it's going to release, right? Yeah, this isn't like a a situation with like Double Fine where they're struggling to make payroll. This is yeah. the company that owns GOG. This is the company that released The Witcher 3. This is yeah. like a very successful company, one of the biggest companies in all of Poland. Yep. Uh, so, and, and when you make a commitment to pay your employees overtime for the crunch that you're putting them through, that means that you have some money to throw at this. Yeah. That all you're unwilling to compromise on is the time frame. And my question now is, why? <laughs> yeah, and you know? but then there's also like the deeper problem of game fans being like, you have delayed this already and I have to wait another three weeks? What the fuck? Yeah, Sorry. and I know you're being devil's advocate, but the response to that is, <laughs> are you really going to side with, you know, faceless fans who, while important, are not your employees who you have a a, a duty to, you know, watch out for their well-being? Because crunch is not just loss of time, it is damaging to the mental state of all the employees involved in it. And okay, if you crunch for a weekend, that's one thing. But we're looking at a crunch of, you know, a month and a bit, and even that will start to show some long-term effects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also, as as a developer who has been in crunch, uh, like, there is definitely a person, and I'm one of these people, that I thrive in crunch. Mm -hmm. Like, do I want to do crunch? No. Do I want to give up my personal time? No. But when my back is against the wall and there's a developer timeline happening, like I really thrive and can get things done. And there will be plenty of people out there who are like, yeah, absolutely. I'll crunch for this month. And as long as I get paid fairly and I get some time off, you know what? I'm totally cool with that. But once again, it's that expectation of you're just going to do it. There's no, like, you can opt into it if you can't crunch, if you're not in a mental state to do that, if you don't have the motivation and and enjoyment of doing that, if you have a family and other commitments, like, you just have to do it or you don't have a job. Now, that's Mm -hmm. not what's being said here, but that's often the feeling that you get in these situations. And we have to also mention that this is coming from a policy of voluntary crunch, that it was set up for a situation where someone like you can just decide, yeah, I'm going to put in some extra hours this week. And here's the other thing, right? They're requiring a full extra day's worth of work. Yeah. Sometimes you want to put in a few hours extra worth of work. And with a policy like this coming down from on high, your hands are really tied on, like, you have to do at least this amount. Yeah, and not to mention you're probably at this point of development already working longer days because you're, like, so close to getting things done. So you're probably actually working you know, seven days by the time it all washes out in the change, right? Devs love their games. Developers adore their games. It's the only reason we're in this industry because this industry does not pay as well, does not treat as well. So we're already going to be putting blood, sweat, and tears into this. And this is just a decision that comes down and says, that's not enough. It's not enough for you to completely burn yourself out for us. We want a bit more. Feels icky. This is something I used to tell my... um. Uh, class that I used to teach was uh, if you're doing this to to make money and being able to pay all your bills and buy nice things, you shouldn't be a game dev because you have to be pretty lucky <laughs> to be able to do that, right? Ooh, like, yeah, yeah, you have to be very lucky. Um, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like, like most creative industry people are in this because they love the things that they create, and like the dream is to be able to be self sufficient so you can create the next thing. 
um when when big companies take advantage of that that kind of sucks yep uh as as i said in the video that uh just launched um that this podcast is based on if you don't subscribe to the youtube channel head on over to youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast but as i said in that video uh do i think this is right no but we have seen it a lot worse in the past from bigger companies uh and you know people are getting paid and is that an excuse and it's absolutely not an excuse but at the end of the day, I don't think it matters because most of us are going to go out and buy this game anyway. And I think that's the the disconnect here. And I understand that people want to just play their games because the games are an escape from everything that's going on in the world all like the time. This. Yeah. Whether it's your personal life, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's I'm having a really shitty time at work, whether it's my relationships on the rocks. You, you play these games a lot of the time to escape all that stuff. So then to hear that there's all this human drama and bullshit going behind the things that you're using as escapism, like that can be a little too much. I understand that. But my, my hope from things like, um, like in, in the discord and on stream, we've been talking about the double fine adventure documentary a bit and watching the no clip documentaries recently. Like you, you, I would hope that people who actually really care about games are seeing this stuff and are perhaps less likely to jump out with the pitchforks if something has to be delayed by a month. Mm. But I don't and think that's happening yet. And that's the, it's a little sad. We're getting there. A lot of games were announced as delayed even before COVID in the past year or two. And in general, a lot of them have received quite a, quite an amount of support for that decision. Last of Us 2 comes to mind immediately. Not everyone is happy, but it did receive a lot more positive, hey, good, just put the good game out there. We, you know, we're behind this still. Enough so that it wasn't all just negative comments. Yeah, that is true. So we're slowly getting there. And in this education is paying off. I think the really telling thing, though, is, you know, some of the tone from the news surrounding this is, to no one's surprise, they've gone back on their promise. And yeah. that's the like really sad part about it. Yeah, they did this, and you know what? No one's surprised. It yeah. was bound to happen. Yeah, and it kind of sucks. But I mean, I'm also kind of torn because I don't really want to defend it because, like, I am gonna play this game, but I, yeah. I, I'm not very excited for it at all, and this just makes me even less excited. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to contrast this with Blizzard. Hmm. Yeah, right. actually, that is... All right, so let's just jump straight into that. Yeah. Um, so so Blizzard, who have uh, come out this week and announced that their next World of Warcraft expansion, Shadowlands, has been delayed until later this year. They're not even mm. giving it a, uh, a date. It was supposed yep. to come out on the 27th of this month, and they've just announced that, yeah, it's going to be pushed back. Their post on their website explains that they they had made significant progress iterating and polishing the core gameplay and features uh, of the Shadowlands, uh, including the zones, the campaign, the questing, the story, and they're all ready to share, but they felt that it needed additional work in other areas. Um, so they've come out and just like, yep, it's not ready. It's not good enough. We need more time rather than let's crunch down on a month. Like that statement to me makes it sound like it's pretty significantly done. Like it's not in shambles yep. right now. But it's about um, I do, bug testing yeah. and quality and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like we were talking just last week um, around the Morheim stuff, just how much Blizzard does care about their fans. I do mm -hmm. think that there's probably a, like, I'm not a WoW player anymore, but I, I, 
I sort of keep up with it when I can. And I, I understand that most of the fan base was very kind of upset by the last expansion kind of didn't yep. bring many sweeping changes that people expected. So I do think there's probably a bit of a pressure on that end as well. Mm. But um, it's kind of interesting to see a company owned by Activision, uh, you know, happy to just push this back while an independent company, I think they're independent still, um, kind of choosing the crunch route after they very publicly said they wouldn't. Um, so to provide a bit of context for this, what kind of scale of expansion are we talking about with Shadowlands here and why something like this might have been decided? Shadowlands is, from what I understand, supposed to be a massive rehaul of the entire leveling system. They're reworking the progression of World of Warcraft itself. It sounds like a big sweeping change across the game that is supposed to be... Like, the last expansion was supposed to be reminiscent of Cataclysm. Cataclysm was a, this notably gigantic expansion that changed the look of all of these places that you're familiar with. And yeah, the last expansion didn't quite deliver on that. So Shadowlands is supposed to be a big sweeping one, from what I understand. I would honestly love to do just a podcast about Cataclysm. Like, <laughs> that's such a amazing moment in gaming that, like, things yeah. like Fortnite, like, oh, all of the stuff that they're doing around the... Oh, yep. and then a meteor came and changed the world. Like it all comes yep. down to cataclysm, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Like this is a world that you know backwards and forwards. You know all the Heidi spots. You know exactly what every town looks like. Hey, look, Deathwing. You know this this angry, ancient, powerful dragon has just come through and ravaged the entire landscape of everything you know. What does the world look like now, and how do we pick up the pieces? And so Shadowlands is supposed to be, at least from a gameplay perspective, a massive change to how the game operates at a like very base level. So I fully understand why there might be delays here. And like I really want to emphasize that this is not comparing apples and oranges. Like we are talking about two very massive, mechanically um, complicated games that are being pushed back or like crunched for in in. Um, in a big way. And yes, Cyberpunk 2077 is a bigger game because it's a full game compared to this expansion for a game. But yeah, we're still talking very comparable amounts of work that need to be put out here. And Blizzard has chosen to delay rather than to... I don't know, who knows? Maybe they've already crunched internally. Maybe they're know just this, right? delayed because they need to crunch some more. Like We, we just yeah. don't know. Right? We don't know. And so this is not saying that Blizzard is amazing and good guys, but... The statement of um, we need more time to fix the quality is heartening. Uh, Blizzard is also known for crunch, sadly. Yeah. Um, they're not. They're not exempt from this. No, no big AAA company currently is exempt from this. Uh, but yeah, another big piece of news. Speaking of big news, uh, I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit more about this. But Smash Brothers Ultimate has been dropping DLC fighters like. Mm. For since it came out, and then uh, last night, I think it was last night. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, they announced that there's a new fighter coming, and it's Steve from Minecraft. And mm. from what I could tell, people are very, very excited about this. I don't play Smash Brothers, I don't follow Smash Brothers, but apparently this is a big deal. And once again, seeing a Microsoft property pop up in Smash Brothers yet again, which is pretty exciting. There's a laundry list of characters that have been hugely requested in Smash Brothers that. For the longest time, people have thought, oh, that's never going to happen. And there are some on that list which are actually never going to happen. A lot of people want Goku in Smash. That's never going to happen. Sakurai has said that 
Smash is a celebration of video games. Goku is a video game character. He's an anime character. However, you know, for long this for the longest time, people were clamoring for Banjo and Kazooie, and amazingly, that happened at some point. And so now, it's it's definitely to me something that I can believe is happening. But also, wow, what a what a deal that had to be made for not just Steve but Minecraft characters to be ported in. So. Fully speaking, they're just going to be skins, I believe, but you can play as Steve, Alex, Zombie, Enderman, and they're all just different skins for the same character in Smash. Yeah, I believe that's correct. That character is going to have some unique properties to do with uh, mining out resources and crafting and stuff to upgrade the strength of attacks as it goes on. Apparently they had to remake all the levels or retool all the levels for the mechanics of this new character to work, which to me is like pretty insane because that game has quite a lot of stages in it. I have nothing but respect for Sora Limited, I think is called, is the dev, is the dev team or studio. Mm-hmm. But I also think they're insane. Every single <laughs> last one of them are crazy people. They have, in, in Smash, they have one of the most obnoxious video game characters to design around. They have Kirby. Mm-hmm. Every time you release a new character in Smash, you have to think about, oh no, what is their neutral B, their neutral special going to be? Because Kirby is going to get that. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's horrible. Like, so <laughs> many decisions they make are horrible for development. And they just do it because it's going to be cool and fans are going to be excited about it. And I can so respect that, but these people are all insane. Um, Asahiro Sakurai runs an insane asylum. That's what he does. I haven't honestly dug very deep. Ha, dug Minecraft, get it? I haven't dug very <laughs> deep into the mechanics of how this is going to really function yet. But it, yeah, it seems like one of those characters that has massive system changes that is going to be dependent on like a lot of momentum to get going as a character i hope people are happy and i hope people like respond because this kind of stuff is not cheap to do yeah there's definitely not just a bada bing bada boom like they've Mm. actually done thoughtful design around it and then not only done thoughtful design but changed the design that was already there for one character like that's a lot of work most people most studios would just be like nah she'll be right don't worry about that. Let's phone Let it in, it. right? The, yeah. the the entire trailer screams so much of we know what people like about Minecraft. Like the pacing of the comedy in the trailer. Yeah, the trailer is actually genuinely funny. If you haven't checked it out, go watch it at home. It's it's great. And and the pacing of it is not snappy. It's Minecraft comedy. And Minecraft comedy is very deliberate. It's very mechanical. And they capture that feeling. If you look at the final smash, you will probably see the difference in it. The final fa- the final smash is super snappy because it has to be for the purpose of the game. But for the trailer, they went quite slow and deliberate on what all the comedic elements are because that- that's important to the Minecraft feel. And I, I hope the Minecraft fans really appreciate this. Uh, I felt the exact same way when Terry and Ryu were put in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, when Sakurai sat there at the direct and just busted out a fight stick and played uh, and, and like showed off that, you know, he knew how to that he was one of the old arcade heads that played uh, SNK games back in when he was a kid. And everything that's been added to Smash Ultimate is an amazing love letter to the fans of the original games. And this is no exception. They have 
they they have treated Minecraft as a as an IP with a lot of reverence going you know of trying to put it into the game into into Smash. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's super cool to see like even as someone who's not a huge fan of Smash at all, mm. um I I really appreciate just the amount of work that they put in and they keep putting out these updates and this time around Nintendo while I think in the past they've largely ignored the community at large that keep makes like you know melee and and uh continued for so long right they kind of ignored that community uh and while they're not listening to everything that's being said they definitely are listening they know what people kind of want in there and they're making it happen which is super exciting to see it's also important as a more crossover to western games it is honestly surprising if anyone ever stops and takes a look at the roster for smash ultimate which includes every character that's ever been in smash how few characters originated from the West. I I believe King K. Rule was the first Western-designed character in the game. Because Donkey Kong, while made by Rare, was a Japanese design. So it it, it took a very long time for a single Western-designed character to appear in Smash Ultimate, uh, in, in the Smash series. This is good. I was about to say, nah, Metal Gear, but then I'm like, no, Kojima, no. you idiot. Yeah, yeah. Snake is Snake is a Japanese <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. It's in, like when you really stop to think about it, it's really weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Capcom. Yep. Okay, you're right. Um, sticking with the fighting game theme, Blue, why don't you tell us about Virtual Fighter? Right. So there isn't much concrete news about this yet, but over TGS, which was last weekend dating while we were recording a bit. it yeah. yeah while we were recording it sega announced an as of yet undefined virtua fighter cross esports thing and there was an emphasis on esports within the trailer there's a lot of focus on the players and not so speculations are out about i think they've confirmed that it's the, the language you use is very important in press statements like this and we have translations from japanese right now but i believe it's something like redefining virtua fighter Mm -hmm. and so some people have taken that to mean that they're rebooting the virtua fighter series why is this important um this is just a one of those historical footnotes of virtua fighter is the very first 3d um arena fighter Without Virtua Fighter, there is no Tekken, there is no Dead or Alive, there is no Soul Calibur. So, this is a big deal of um, an old franchise being rebooted after, I believe, 10 years of no news completely. Yeah, I was about to say, it's been a long time since... Virtua Fighter 5 was, I believe, 2010. Yep. And um, this time they have an emphasis on esports, which, you know, anyone who's making a fighting game these days, the big companies at least do make it with the awareness that there is going to be a competitive scene around your fighting game. That's just kind of how fighting games exist today. So that's going to be cool. Um, Hopefully this means nice stuff going forward. Like, yeah, let's treat competitive seriously, which means we need to give people proper places to practice, which means we will implement a rollback netcode because delay-based netcode is horrible on fighting games. So yeah. Not much of a concrete stuff there, but I thought it was important to just kind of like say for historical note, Virtual Fighter is a big deal, and uh, it does seem to be getting some kind of resurgence. I I mostly trust Sega, don't you? Yeah, I mean they they kind of disappear for a long time, and then they just come out with something, and you're just like, ooh, Sega. Okay, so here's know? the thing about Sega. 
they own so many companies and they almost never force their name onto it, especially yeah, in yeah, Japan. Yeah. They own so many subsidiaries and all the subsidiaries function as X studio, continue yeah. functioning that way. Um, Atlas, for example, I believe is a Sega subsidiary. I so didn't know that. I yeah, if if I'm right with that, and I could be wrong, I'm like pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, all that's, that's how typically <laughs> a lot of yeah, that's how typically you know? a lot of Japanese companies offer uh, operate. So you know, correct, it wouldn't surprise correct. me at all. Uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, for the people who will be excited for Virtua Fighter. It's not my game, but I know it's a lot of people's game, and it's gonna be cool. Yeah, I know. I know Klebovchek will be very excited about this. <laughs> oh, you went <laughs> out of your way to say that wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Um, I hope uh, I hope you're listening, Dan. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, just a quick bit. Not really much to talk about here, but Apex Legends will be supporting crossplay finally uh, when Fantastic. the game does launch on Steam October six. So just after yeah. this podcast goes live, uh, basically if you're playing it on PS4 or Xbox One, you can play with your PC friends and vice versa. Uh, the way that they're going to be managing it is PC players will always be playing against PC players unless they partner up in the lobby with someone on console and then the console player will join them in the PC arena. That seems to be how it's going to work at launch. Be interesting to see how that goes. I know a lot of people really like Apex. I like Apex. I just don't have time to play it or be good at it because I'm an old man these days. Um, so that news came out. We also have Torchlight 3 is launching, which I wish I was more excited about this um, because I was a big Torchlight fan, as are you, Blue. Uh, it, it's going to be launching on October 13 on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC. There will be a Switch version coming later this year. It entered early access earlier this year, a few months ago, I believe, and it was torn apart by everyone that was playing it, it seemed. Uh, you know, it had the standard server issues at launch, uh, but then there wasn't much game there. It definitely wasn't like Torchlight 2. I requested a refund just because I wasn't digging what I played at that time and there was just so many issues. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to refund this and check it out when it does come out. Yep. Um, have you been following this at all as a, as a Torchlight fan? Mm-hmm. or have you kind of um, No. Uh, my, my goal has been I will see it when it launches and it really sneaks up on you, this thing. Yeah, they've been so quiet with it ever since the huge backlash they got from the game. Because they only had positive stuff when they announced that they were going away from the other thing they were doing. I don't remember the name of it. It was Torchlight something else. Yeah, it was more of a mobile free-to-play sort of game. Mm. Um, but they were keeping some aspects of it intact, which introduced the concept of like these railroad engineer-like classes. And I thought that Torchlight with a conceit of... like. Cent- uh, centering it around this train system slash mechanic was very cool and i was excited for that yeah i'm definitely not opposed to what was going on there um mm. i definitely when i first got it and i actually could get in i was looking at the comments and it's very much everyone like oh this is just a mobile game like hanging on to the oh you've kept some stuff from the mobile game yeah. i do feel that it was more of that was the issue rather than an actual issue with what i was playing but yep. the servers were just so finicky and uh yeah. you know it was one of those times i was like you know what i'll just i'll just pick this up at a later date i did jump on the steam page because i was like oh it's coming out i should probably check in on that the reviews are currently sitting at mixed you know some people are liking it majority are hating it a majority of them are saying oh this is just a step backwards from torchlight 2 you know <laughs> 
it's also kind of hard because while Torchlight was a great game and Torchlight 2 was a great game, it came along at a time when there was a drought of ARPGs, right? Like yep. Diablo 3 kind of wasn't out when Torchlight 1 launched. Then, you know, it was broken when it did launch and Torchlight 2 was like, here's the Diablo that you really wanted. Yep. Um, and then, you know, since then we've had uh, Path of Exile, not mm-hmm. Pillars of Eternity, Path of Exile, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fantastic free-to-play version of this. You've had Walson, which a lot of people really, really love. Um, I want to go check that out again in summer. Like, it's just, you know, Grim Dawn, like, there's there's options now. So I do wonder yeah. if that sort of plays into it. There's there's other great options here, and if Torchlight 3 is just kind of doing more of the same, is that enough these days? I'm willing to give it a shot, but shooting yourself in the foot with um, bad server, which affects your Steam rating... That's going to be very hard to recover from. Absolutely. I mean, I'm more than willing to give it a shot because I love yeah. the personality and, and feel of the Torchlight world. Yeah. But, you know, if it's just kind of more of that, I think I'll be okay to play it, but I won't be, you know, thrilled, thrilled to play yeah. it. Yeah, from a behind-the-scenes, yeah. like, look at the developer stuff, they, they really mismanaged how all of that happened. Uh, maybe they underestimated its popularity. Uh, but whatever it is, that's going to be the main challenge. And none of this is even talking about the game's quality yet. So Yeah. And and it's also important to remember this is a new developer because Runic mm. has dissolved. Um, mm. The founders of that company who created Torchlight went on to make Rebel Galaxy uh, is the, the games that they've been working on. And then uh, Perfect World, who owned the Torchlight franchise, has got these new developers in. Etra, I think that's how you say it. Um, so... New developers, existing franchise. It looks like they're going to be doing their own little take on that. So, I don't know. I'm keen to check it out. We'll probably at least do a first bite of it and maybe a stream um, when it does launch. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll do a review because I might be too sad if it's not as good as I want it to be. Yeah, any Torchlight fans out there wouldn't hold your breath at this point, sadly. Yeah. Um, speaking of new games, Genshin Impact has launched and taken over the internet since it launched. It's a free-to-play RPG that is heavily inspired by Breath of the Wild. Um, It was kind of interesting because every single article for the months leading up to this launch was just like, look at this game from China that's basically Breath of the Wild. And that's been the narrative that the games media has been playing for this game. Um, And yes, it looks very much like Breath of the Wild, but it's also not the only game that looks like Breath of the Wild. We also had Windborne from our Aussie friends, Five Live Studio, uh, which looks a lot like Breath of the Wild. Uh, we also have uh, Phoenix Rising, my favorite titled game from Ubisoft that looks Immortals. very, very... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Immortals Phoenix Rising. I got the name yeah. wrong. Branding um, is important. Your branding is important, right? Um, it also looks very Breath of the Wild, right? Yeah. Uh, but the media aren't really attacking it for that. I do wonder why Genshin was the sort of, you know, pillar for that. But... It's out, everyone's playing it, it's free to play. They kind of realize that, okay, yeah, it's heavily inspired by Breath of the Wild, but it's a very different game. You're collecting heroes. It's kind of got a like MMO style combat, but in real time, um, it's very anime. Um, you're getting this party of heroes that you can switch to dynamically, which then, you know, they compare all their, combine all their abilities rather to help you get through quests. I have only played a couple of hours of it, so I'm not super into it in terms of being able to party up with people. Like, I don't know how that works. But it's pretty solid. Like, it's very, very solid. It's it's kind of interesting because we work with a bunch of gacha games. Uh, 
you know, and I'm not a huge fan of that mechanic, um, but I'm also a PC gamer, right? I don't game on my phone that much. And this, while not the first gacha game on PC, I do really believe this is the first gacha game of this quality on PC that actually has quite a lot of gameplay mechanics behind it to back it up. And even more importantly, has the mainstream appeal and the media coverage that a lot of people on PC are just learning right now what a gacha game is through Genshin mm-hmm. Impact. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out over the next few months if it's got any staying power. Well, it's it's even surprising you say months. In the yeah. mobile space, gacha games flash in the pan within a yeah. week. So this is the interesting part. It's 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 on both mobile and PC. And that integration works so well. So like I um play was playing the tutorial area, which that's my number one problem with the game is the opening is just so slow. But that's Japanese games in general, to be honest. Uh, but I was playing for like forty minutes, and then I'm like, okay, I've downloaded it on my phone. I wonder, and it was as seamless as like putting your switch in the dock, like. I logged into my account and I was exactly where I left off on the PC version and I've done it back and forth. It hasn't skipped a beat yet, which that's really exciting. It's super exciting, actually. I hope it does well because I never hope any game fails. But as far as gacha, let me put it this way. If it succeeds, it'll succeed not because of its gacha elements. It it won't dethrone the big gachas. It won't. I don't think it'll scratch Exvius. I don't think it'll scratch. I don't think it'll reach Grand Order. It certainly will not dethrone Grand Blue Fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it's a different style of game. It's an active game. Those are those those other gacha games. They have their own formula. They know what they're doing. The mode and game loop and time of play are completely different when we're talking about this. They just happen to share gacha elements. But yeah, yeah Genshin Impact is a much much more active game. It's something that can be on console. You could not put Brave Exvius, Grand Order, or Grand Blue Fantasy on a console it just would not work there's not enough play in those games yeah they're essentially a little more involved clicker games except you're not even clicking right yeah um yeah they're which idle been games. My, yeah which has been my problem with it because i don't i've never really jumped on that bandwagon that doesn't mm. interest me but as you said this is an active game this is like mm-hmm. you're actively doing the combat you're exploring you're foraging like it is an rpg it just has this gacha element and that's yeah. why i think as long as they keep delivering content through the events and if the dungeons with friends are good because it feels like a small scale mmo and if if i don't know because as i said i haven't gotten far enough to to see how that works but if that stuff is interesting that's where i see it staying power because it's like mm-hmm. this is an actual game so, so here's a very interesting intersect between the two right mm-hmm. uh whales don't tend to want to put that much time into a game from what i understand yeah Yep, that is, so, that is also true. For those who aren't aware of what we're talking about here, in the mobile space, there are a concept of users and players called whales. For a free-to-play game, you you need whales to survive. Your average user will put in 10 USD three months or two months or whatever, right? That's not sustainable. That It doesn't matter how many users you get. It costs too much to develop a mobile gacha game that is in the vein of Grand Blue Fantasy on that amount of money income. Because it costs a especially, lot for development. Yeah, I was about to say, especially since a lot of them are based on anime franchises, so there's licensing fees yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, you rely on this this subgroup of users called whales, and they are people who are willing to drop thousands, and that's not an exaggeration, thousands of dollars every event into you. Now, with Genshin Impact, the fact that it's a free-to-play game, um, its long-term survivability will either depend on more users making the decision of 
I've gotten quite a bit of enjoyment out of this. I'm going actually going to put in 60 bucks because I've enjoyed it for a month. If enough users decide to do that, then there, there's staying power there. Or it's going to have to find its own kind of whale, which, which I don't think it, it has the same overlap as the other gacha games. And I could be wrong here. I absolutely could be. I'm not an expert in this sphere. But uh, I don't think they can just as easily go, these games survive on these people, and we can do the same. I don't think they can yeah in ideology. in terms of a, a similar model i think it's kind of going for that warframe model um mm. you know where mm. it's gonna have it's gonna have to have enough content to keep people sticking around yeah. and, and people will be have to be willing to pay so i'm not telling you how to spend your money but if you're listening to this and you think you like genshin impact consider putting in a token amount of money because otherwise games like these won't stick around yeah, I, I as a general rule, when I'm playing a free to play game, once again, I you know take this advice <laughs> grain yeah. of salt. But just just how I tend to operate, like if I play a free to play game for like ten hours or more, I'll always chuck them, you know, ten twenty bucks, whatever. I yeah, want. like don't don't list... don't break the bank, and yeah. certainly don't give more than you can. But free yeah. to play doesn't mean free to make. And yeah, exactly. Do, do so like Dauntless, mind. I was playing a lot of Dauntless. I really liked it, and even though I didn't play it every day, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna buy this battle pass and, and a yeah. few things just because I've played this game for 20 hours now and it's really awesome. And I want those developers to keep making awesome content. And thankfully yeah. that game has taken off in a way that the developers are still dropping new beasts, new monsters, new yeah. quests. So every time I do go back in that game and I play for, you know, oh, I'm going to play this for another month, I'll drop a 10 bucks on a battle mm. pass here. You know, Cause it's important to, it is very telling for me because like when I stopped streaming and I came back to streaming, like I stopped streaming right when Fortnite launched. I started streaming long after Fortnite became a thing. And when I came back to streaming, more often than not, I'll be playing some sort of, you know, single purchase, regular premium game. And uh, there'll be uh, a kid in chat who's like, oh, what's this game? Is it free? Can I download it from Epic yeah. or whatever? And I'm like, no, it's it's 15 bucks. And they're like, oh, I'll never play it then. Yep. And, and while I get it, because, you know, you're a kid, you don't you're have money. It's definitely changing the per perception on games because there are so many high quality, like it doesn't matter if you don't like Fortnite, like Fortnite is a very high quality game and it's free and you can get like hundreds and thousands of hours out of it for nothing, zero dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's quite hard for me to be like, Hey, go buy this game six hours and it's 25 bucks. Like I understand, but you know, it's, it's important that these free to play games, like you're, as you just said, like not all of them have that, epic money not all of them struck it rich and they're just like you know putting out that content trying to stay operational so you know if you if you can afford to to drop some dollars on the games you like you know chuck them five or ten bucks every now and then speaking of epic apple and epic are still fighting it out uh they're currently so i don't even know the full story because it's just jumping around all over the place but to sum it all up basically uh, any app on the app store has to give Apple 30% of any money that they make, right? So if you're a free-to-play game and someone buys a costume in your game for five bucks, 30% of that five bucks goes to Apple. That's just how it works for everyone. Epic are like, nah, we don't want to do that. We're going to put in our own payment system, which is against Apple's term of service. Apple are like, no, you're not. Epic's like, yeah, we are. Apple's like, no, you're not. So then Epic made a parody of the very famous 1984 commercial 
telling all the Fortnite users to rise up because Apple was kicking them off the App Store, which it did. So Fortnite no longer on iPhone uh, App Store. And Epic has taken Apple to court and Apple has taken Epic to court. Uh, Epic recently just launched an injunction against Apple's removal of Fortnite from the App Store, but the judges kind of already sided with Apple. The judge, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, said that Epic's actions were not honest. The exact quote is you did something and you lied about it by omission by not being forthcoming that's the security issue that's the security issue there are tons of people in the public who consider you guys heroes for what you guys did but it's still not honest and she's basically saying that epic's actions here by putting in this payment system that was against apple's very clear terms of service is what justified apple's removal of Fortnite, so it kind of sounds like they don't have a leg to stand on. To go further than that, the judge is saying that the case should be heard uh, for a jury, uh, which Epic doesn't want and Apple doesn't want. They want it to just be settled at court without, you know, I guess company biases and all that sort of stuff thrown into the mix. So the official quote that was then put on Games Industry Biz was Epic and Apple have met and conferred and the parties agree that Epic's claims and Apple's counterclaims should be tried by court and not by a jury. Therefore, with Epic's consent, Apple hereby withdraws its demand for a jury trial. The parties respectfully request the case, including any claims and counterclaims, proceed to a bench trial on a schedule determined by the court. Now, with the way that things are going on, uh, in terms of COVID and the backlog of all these other court cases, like court cases in America move incredibly slowly, this is not going to be heard until July 2021. So it's going to be a long time before Fortnite is going to return to the App Store if it ever does. It's kind of interesting. Epic are throwing their weight around uh, and Apple are like not playing nice. And this is, I don't, Personally, I don't agree with... I don't disagree with what Epic are trying to do here. They're trying to break down the wall that Apple has, but Apple has built that wall and has a system, and without their systems, Epic doesn't make any money on that platform. And the argument that they're making is like the same for Microsoft. Everything that they sell on Microsoft, Microsoft gets 30%. Everything they sell on Sony, 30%. Nintendo, Google's the same boat. So it's kind of interesting that they're going... For the jugular with Apple. And then you're throwing in Microsoft also having problems with Apple in terms of the xCloud service right now too. So it seems like there's a bit of, you know, pressure from the corpse to make Apple move. And I don't think Apple will because they hold the upper hand. Like yep. even though there are more Android phones in the world, there are more affluent people with the money rocking iPhones who are in that ecosystem and have been for a decade now. So, Well, there are more Android phones in the world, but... Android phones are produced by more companies. All Apple phones yeah. are produced by Apple. So yeah, exactly. in terms of per company, Apple owns more of the market share. Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. Plus also like there are more Android phones, but they're usually like India is predominantly an Android country, yeah. um, which are predominantly not uh, a high yeah. gaming territory. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of interesting that Epic are throwing around this weight. Um, I mean, you and I have talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. off off the podcast and stuff. It's it's interesting because it seems like they have that Fortnite money, but it seems like a huge amount of revenue they're losing. And I'm not sure why, like what they're trying to achieve. I just don't think they can achieve. And I don't know how they know 
like what is in their head to make them be like, are we going to do this anyway? Or what is the smoking gun they think they have? And the first step out the gate, it doesn't look like they've got a smoking gun. Like that's already against them. So it's kind of interesting. Very interesting that Epic doesn't want a jury because at first this sounded to me like a Robin Hood situation. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Robin Hood, if you put him in a court, he's guilty. Yeah. (laughs) He gets sent to jail (laughs) 10 out of 10 times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Epic sort of were taking the moral high ground because, you know, it sounded like, yeah, they disagreed with some of the TOS and were trying to bring attention to it. If that was the angle they were going to take, they would want a jury because they have compassion on their side. They have emotion on their side. Uh, Because Apple has all of this locked down legally. They have good legal teams. Both these companies have very good legal teams, but Epic is the defender here. And I do think they hold home ground advantage in that regard. Yeah. Having said that, this has fallen into corporate legalese. And God help me, I do not have enough brain cells left in my head to interpret that. So we're just going to have to wait and see what a judge says at the end of this. But yeah, (laughs) yeah, from a consumer perspective, it sounded like Epic was trying to be the good guy here. But um, if they don't want a jury, that probably means that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I don't know what's going on. I could not even begin to speculate on what they are thinking. And yeah, a- a- Apple's just playing hardball and defense. So it is all in Epic's court at the moment. Yeah, so we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. And the last bit of news, unless Blue, there's something else you want to bring up. I want to touch on here is the Steam Digital Tabletop Festival. Kicking off on October 21st, it's going to be running for five days. And it's going to be a festival of virtual Let's Plays, panels, talks, and streaming activities that explore the fusion between physical and digital games with legendary designers, upcoming studios, and you. And it's just cool, man. Yep. It's just super cool to have this little niche festival on the biggest video games platform on pc mm. and uh actually it seems like it's going to be some interesting stuff here so they got talks with the developers of uh, plague inc other side mm. Loomhaven, um and then they're going to be doing this one's super interesting to me a virtual panel on games about mars where game creators will be joined by actual space agency staff and scientists to ask what games get right and wrong about the red planet also, virtual panel on Cthulhu games, which is also going to be dope. So I'm assuming we're going to see a bunch of sales on tabletop games during that time. But yep. I don't know. In a, in a in a in an age where all of these major events, like all the board game events, I'm pretty sure have been cancelled this year. So there's no one doing that stuff. In a lot of places, people probably can't even get together to play board games because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. So they're doing it all online through Tabletop Sim and a bunch of other games like that and Roll20 and all that stuff. Um, having these little micro festivals uh, going around, you know, they have been happening since the pandemic and before, but to see Steam throw one, like, yes, there would be a lot of people who are into board games on Steam, but it's definitely not even close to one of their top five categories, I would imagine. So to see yeah. them be like, yeah, we're just going to do this. Like, that's super cool. I'm really into that and I hope it happens more. This feels like someone at Valve just decided we should do this. And then they did it. Because that's I'm how Valve works. So, <laughs> well, here's an industry secret. When you see something cool happen in a game, like when a game announces something cool, it's probably because one or two people said, let's do it. Yeah, totally true. You know, like they met in the after party at some convention or event and they're like, Hey, I make Tekken. 
Wouldn't it be cool if, like, we got Negan from The Walking Dead in here, and the other guy is like, yeah, it would be cool. Let's make it happen. <laughs> you know, so like, true. that's the kind of... Yeah, all all of these, like, cool, good-for-the-community stuff, good-for-people stuff, they tend to happen from one person championing something. And this, this screams of that to me, and I'm all for it, because that kind of stuff is what makes the games industry worth it. Absolutely. So I'll definitely be tuning into that and playing a lot of board mm. games along the way. Hopefully you'll join Oh, me. no. I get encouraged to play more board games. Oh, uh, woe yeah. is me. What are you doing? No, yeah, no, uh, I'm down for it. Board games yeah. are always a good time. And they actually play in digital space relatively well. It's not the same, not as physical. Yeah. Uh, you know what you don't have? You don't have the cleanup. Cleanup on board games, especially the good ones, always suck. Yeah, and the the and good it, thing is like um so with tabletop sim especially when when the mod creator or if you buy one of the official um DLCs when they're really well scripted so it's just like I have three players and then it just puts everything out that you need for yeah. three players like I love that I love that uh the sound of tabletop sim auto shuffling three players decks pacing tokens like all of those sound effects oh. going at once is just satisfying you know what like. It is, let's just talk about tabletop sim for a minute here, right? Like, mm -hmm. when you first look at a tabletop sim, right, if you've never used it, and if you're new to it board has, games, it, it is the, the scariest most, thing. It also has the most horrendous main menu music. It's uh, so yeah. bad. Come on, Berserk Games, you need to change that. But <laughs> it it is scary, and, like, even now, I'm like, how do I do that again? What do I do? How do I zoom in? Like, mm. It is the jankiness in that game that makes it feel like you're playing board games. Because, you know, when you're sitting around and you're learning a new board game, you're like, oh, no, that's not right. No, you're doing that wrong. And then someone spills Coke all over the table and drops Doritos on the floor. Like You do that's the thing where you where you eye the person across the table as you're picking up a dice and you're like, is, is, this, the, is this the one I'm supposed to? I yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what Tabletop Sim feels like, but yeah. even more chaotic. And that's I think yeah. that's what makes it work for me. Like, I've used other services to play board games that are a bit more automated and stuff mm. but even though it's not tactile it feels very real and i yeah. like that yeah everyone should buy tabletop sim and make some friends we have a board games channel on our discord so if you ever want to play jump in there plenty of us do cool so blue what have you been playing what have you been playing mate i've been playing here as a hammer watch but you roped me into playing synthetic legion rising yes he has a game time. to talk about that's a really good time yeah, surprisingly, right? Because when, when we first booted it up, I don't know about you, but I was a bit like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, but I, it definitely grew on me very fast. Well, as you said, a lot of people keep saying, play this like an FPS, and I still don't get that. Yeah. But that was I, all I, my brain I'm could try you. to process. I'm like, what do you mean play this like an FPS? I, I think people who say that are people who primarily play not that angle of games. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, yeah, like once you understand what the game is, you do things like hide behind cover, take peeking shots and stuff like that. And maybe that's what they're referring to. I can only assume that's what they're referring to. Probably that and you can get headshots. So maybe, maybe that's Maybe, it. but all of that feels very like, well, of course you do it this way. How else would you play this? Yeah. Um, I suspect what they mean is you can't run in and tank a lot of damage because mm. the enemies mm. hurt. So do you want to give an overview of the game for people who don't know? All right, sure. Um, Synthetic is a roguelite where you control an android, one of eight classes that it can be, I think is what it is. And these specialties and classes just gear you towards being better at 
something. For example, the sniper gets some bonuses to attacking at long range. Um, you know, there's a class that can um, use a knife on a cooldown that will deal a lot of damage, and if you kill with it, you get some health back. So both of those are obviously diametrically opposed playstyles. One is a bit more up close, one is, you know, longer range. And that's all it does. The weapons and items you get within the run are very randomized, and within those weapons you have variants. So I got this assault rifle this time that has increased reload speed but decreased deviation so it, it's harder to be accurate at long range or something like that so that's where it's trying to get its variety and i actually don't think it works super well with that i think eventually you'll just get a weapon and those variants won't matter that much in my opinion maybe it does on higher difficulties so in terms of the variants of weapons and, and stuff that you get i can actually try to play most runs quite similarly but how you approach enemies the enemy variations the level designs are actually very cool and interesting you have to you get an overview not bird's eye what's the word i'm looking for orthogonal it's not asymmetric but yeah yeah like a kind of like side on top down view so you get to see a lot of what's around you and then you just kind of get to plan how, how you're going to deal with this pack of enemies or this encounter coming up. Do I just rush out and place a turret? Do I grenade them from behind cover? Do I just activate my buff and gun them all down? Because that's actually one of the options in some of the classes, which is cool. And yeah. I really like how just it has the difficulty stacking. Like, so... Like normally a lot of these games it's like oh yeah you add like the enemies have more health or more armor but this has like okay we're gonna give you like five percent more xp if you have manual reloading on mm -hmm. we're gonna give you another five xp if you have to eject the cartridge when it's empty first and then if you eject it with bullets in it you lose those bullets and it has all these like mechanical based difficulty challenges i guess or yeah i guess the, it adds mechanics complications that's the word i'm looking for yeah it adds these mechanical complications that make the game... Like, it's almost like a driving game where you start turning off the driving assists once you get good at it, right? Yeah. Like, it feels like, oh, I'm taking off the training wheels because I'm, like, pro at this game right now. I really... I have really 20 hours. I can that. deal with my gun jamming every now and then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that's super cool. I... The aesthetic of it is really weird. I... Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm a super fan of it. But it's, yeah, I kind of like ugly. it. I kind of don't like it. It's kind of lo-fi and it's kind of not. It's it's just strange and just lots of screen shake, but it fits the theme uh, quite well. Um, I think there's a lot of depth to the game, which is what I'm always looking for from something like this. I'm on such a Hammerwatch kick that like that's the yep. game I'm always thinking about, but yeah. I, I want to play more synthetic. It's super cool. Down for both. Both are good games. I like roguelike. Roguelites, they're fun. Yeah, it's so easy to just sink 20 minutes into a run and then realize, oh no, this run's been going well, I've been at this for an hour. And like, both of those feelings are amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of roguelikes, I've been playing Curse of the Dead Gods again, which Ooh, nice. was a roguelike I found back in March when it launched on Early Access. I'd never heard of it before. It's from a team called Past Tech Games. Um, and it's real good. It's real good. It's kind of like... It looks amazing. Yeah, it's an isometric um, dungeon crawler, but it takes place in sort of like Aztec temples. And just it, it, imagine if you took the art style of Darkest Dungeon 
and and put it into that sort of isometric dungeon um, crawler sort of viewpoint. And it has a lot of stuff to manage. Like the combat is really, really deep. So like you have these stamina pips that is connected to everything in the game. So every time you roll to avoid damage, you lose a pip. Every time that you do a three button combo, which has this wicked finisher at the end of your attacks, it has a pip. Um, every time you use the, you have three weapon sets basically. So you have your first weapon set, which is just a flaming torch. And you need to use that to light up the dark so you can see where you're going and light lanterns on fire and all that sort of stuff. Um, you have your primary and secondary weapon. Every time you use your secondary weapon, it uses a pip. And then you have your third weapon set, which is just usually a two-handed, whether it's a bow or a giant sword or a big club or whatever. Every time you use that, it uses a pip. So when you're in combat, you have to manage switching between the weapon sets so you can see, so you can attack and defend. Uh, you have to be able to roll. You have to be able to parry. All tied into the stamina pips, which is really cool. Just like, you know, Dead Cells or any of these other roguelikes, you you collect buffs and boons and, and relics Curses. that you... Yeah, so like I have one that every time I hit a perfect parry, I immediately recharge my stamina because my playstyle is to roll in, beat the crap out of them, uh, hit the, the parry at the right time to stun them, get my stamina back so I can keep wailing on them. That's kind of how I play the game. And then the other interesting mechanic is the the corruption so every time you get hit you take corruption points and then every time you clear a room and move into the next you get corruption points every time that you do a blood sacrifice to get new weapons or attribute upgrades you get corruption points every time you heal at a healing well you get corruption points and every time you hit a hundred on that scale you unlock a new curse uh which you know they're randomized there's over 20 in the game and it'll like Okay, well, you're going to take damage every single second that you're alive in the dungeon, <laughs> which that one's brutal. Or it'll be like, hey, um, there's less, there's more gold in the dungeon, but it's all on the ground and it all disappears if you don't pick it up quick enough. So that makes it harder to get enough gold to buy upgrades. Um, and they stack until you hit five curses, which is pretty, pretty intense and really makes the runs feel different every time because you're never getting the same combination of curses because there's so many. Um, so like some are easier to deal with than others. And if you get a couple of the really hard ones all in the same run, it's like, oh, it's rough. It's real rough. Since you saw me play at Blue, they've added the second temple now, which is the Serpent Temple, which has new enemy types and uh, all that sort of stuff, which is super cool, different art style. And they're going to add one more temple uh before the game comes out, it was supposed to be the end of this year. I couldn't find out any information if that's changed because of COVID. So it could be next year. Um, mm. But yeah, that game, I really loved it then. I love it even more now. Mm-hmm. I will probably play more of it on the channel, but actually doing a review of it for worth it at the moment. So awesome. uh, check that out in the next few weeks. Also, that'll be the first video that Valen is going to edit. I've kind of entered a partnership with Valen to try and alleviate some of the workflow problems I have with so much going on. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, Hopefully it works out well and he does some more editing for us. So cheers, Valen, if you're listening. Otherwise, I've just been playing Spelunky. More Spelunky. Always more Spelunky. Get there eventually. I made it to, I played off off stream yesterday, last night. Maybe it was the night before. And uh, I made it to Olmac twice. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, I think I think I'll be able to finish it next week, which will be exciting. Yeah. Nice thing about games like Splunky is that the more you play it, the less opaque 
levels seem. First time you hit jungle, you're like, jungle's impossible. It's impossible to escape. And then you're like, oh, it's, it's impossible to leave jungle without taking damage. If you run it enough times, you'll be like, yeah, jungle. Cool. You know? And yeah, where you are with ice caves and temple is very much the same thing. First time you enter temple, you're like, oh, these mummies suck. They're impossible to get by. And then you slowly learn how to do things. And Unfortunately, the cost of learning is a run. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I think the issue, like once I beat Olmec like once or twice, the issue will be, okay, can I stay alive the entire run? Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the hard thing. So for those You might who, find who, that it's easier because you have more resources going in. Yeah, that's true. Like be able to buy up the bombs, like that's the big thing. Mm. So for those who who have tuned in and don't know why I'm doing this, so Spelunk, I stream a lot of roguelikes. It's kind of my thing. I love them. I My secret shame is I never finished Spelunky. Um, I actually, I like Spelunky, but I really hate playing Spelunky. Like I don't like the movement of it, but I'm mm -hmm. for some reason just enamored with trying to play the second one because everyone's just talking about how great it is. And I think Spelunky is a landmark, very important game. So it'd be cool to finish it and to see what they've improved yeah. upon so long. Like I never thought there would be a sequel to Spelunky. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what that is. Um, you know, you so, ever think that almost all landmark games kind of suck in some way? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. I mean, like, Mario that's what makes them landmark games. They're doing something experimental. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think landmark games have... Landmark games uh, are instrumental because they change the way we think about games and they bring something completely new to the table that automatically just makes them stick in our mind as being a landmark game. Yeah. And then whenever you go back to them, they're never as good as what came after because... Everything that came after had the the knowledge of being able to build on that landmark, right? Mm. Yep. I think they're very much you have to be there in that moment to really appreciate and have that nostalgia for, which a lot yep. of these bigger landmark games from like... I wasn't playing a lot of games towards the end of the PS2 and the Nintendo 64 era, so a lot of those landmark games for a lot of people that have a lot of deep nostalgia for, I absolutely don't. It's kind of like Ghost in the Shell, right? Like, so many people tell me, oh, you don't like anime, but you got to watch Ghost in the Shell. Landmark film, landmark film. Mm -hmm. And I watched it, like, only a few years ago. And the first time I watched it, I was like, ah, it's good, but, like, The Matrix was better. And people were like, The Matrix only exists because of this movie. I'm like, yeah. yeah, but I saw The Matrix long before that. And The Matrix yeah. is better because it came long after. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on that movie has changed a lot. I actually really like Ghost in the Shell now, but I was kind of a bit like, eh, I don't see what the big deal is. And I think yep. that's a lot of the time, like if you play, um, you know, Mario Galaxy and then go back and play Mario 64, you're yeah. going to be like, well, what? what's the big deal? If you never yep. grew up playing Mario 64, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, it helps if you just approach it from a, a student's perspective, right? There's a reason film students still watch Susan Kane. Yeah, true. It's not true. because it's good, though. It's not because it's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think that also changes from movie to movie, too. Like, Casablanca yeah. is still one of my favorite films, and I don't yep. have a nostalgia for that. It's just an incredibly made short film, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's for the technique and not because of any emotional response if you didn't grow up with it. I think the, the big thing that differentiates... This is a total weird tangent, but, like, the difference between an old movie and an old game is technology fuels what is capable of a game and what it looks like. Like a movie still looks like a movie. It might be black and white, but it's still, you know, outside of CGI and crazy stuff that they're doing in like the matrix. Like if you're just looking at like a normal character drama that doesn't have any of those crazy high action madness, 
like a movie's a bit more comparable, if you know what I mean. Yes and no. I, I, I sort of agree with that, but I also heavily disagree with that because I think that the way we make movies and the way we pace movies are completely different. There is the kind of breakneck speed that some movies go today that even dramas take, which I think is very wrong. I think movies need to learn how to take their time again. And if you go back to a movie from the 50s, you're like, how how has it been 30 minutes? Nothing has happened in these 30 <laughs> minutes, you know? Yeah, that's also true. So I that's do think true. that... I, I'm a writer at heart, I guess, is what I'm saying here, is that I pay attention to the pacing and the writing, the dialogue, and, and that stuff changes tremendously decade to decade. Oh, yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Um, anyway, what were we talking about before this tangent? Spelunky. Landmark Spelunky. Game. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to finish a complete run on stream mm. before I can purchase Spelunky 2. So mm-hmm. my goal right now is to be able to play Spelunky 2 live on stream before 2022. Nah, I think like, I'm close. Spoiler alert. This is all a ploy to save money on not buying Spelunky 2. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, I have some games in the pipeline um, that I quickly want to just mention. Um, Obronauts. I think, yes, Obronauts. I have the early access build for Obronauts, which is this weird kind of indie game that has a lot of systems and dialogue and a lot of people in the narrative world are kind of excited about. Um so I'm going to be checking that out in a uh, first bite and a review. I'm also going to be checking out Going Under in a first bite next week. Also Against the Moon, which is a roguelike deck builder. Kind mm. of, I think we mentioned it last last episode. It's kind of like Scrolls uh, meets mm. Slay the Spire. I'm going to be checking that out as well. So videos of all those coming up. Uh, we also have the Ruin Arc Worth It video coming out on Tuesday on the channel uh that's a fun little game thanks to hot rice who gifted that to me and i i really really enjoy it and i definitely want to get back to it and keep checking in on that one and uh yeah just uh you know i've got a lot of games to play and there's quite a few coming out that are pretty interesting soon so playing a bit of catch up right now but that's kind of where we're at do you have anything else to add blue nothing much is happening for me for like output that people can consume wise because I am kind of gearing up to fly away from Australia back to Malaysia in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll have to plan the podcast around that, I guess. We might have to miss a week. Potentially. I I fly the day after we normally record. So, um, so have a safe flight, Blue. Thank you. We'll see what <laughs> happens because that's not, a, that's not a guarantee. Even more so nowadays because of COVID, right? So yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, flying straight into quarantine. We'll see what happens. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe Blue will do a podcast live from quarantine. Maybe I'll have to fly with a guest for a week or two until Blue's uh, would clear hope on the other that side. I can at least do a podcast from quarantine. This should not take that much internet. And if the internet's bad enough that I can't do this, that means I'm going to struggle to do anything. Yeah, that's going to be a fun time for all. But on a lighter note, that's the end of our episode. <laughs> <laughs> you so, made it you survived congratulations we've we've actually been pretty consistent a few episodes in the bag out on the same day uh that's pretty exciting um so yeah uh, make sure you head along to youtube and subscribe youtube.com slash pixels for breakfast also join the twitch channel stream every monday wednesday and thursday japan time at twitch.tv forward slash pixels for breakfast Blue has another podcast that he's currently on a hiatus for. Blue, do you want to quickly give that a plug? I should be back on platforms and pitfalls or 
some variation of our normal formula in the October. Oh, sorry, in the November episode. Fingers crossed. That's the plan at the moment. So make sure that you go and subscribe to that podcast and all of your good podcasting software. And we'll be back next week to talk about the latest in-game news and probably talk about some thoughts on some of these other games. And I might even try and convince Blue to play a different game. Blue, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. This was very pleasant. It totally was. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. Number one, pixelate your breakfast.